what's up, everyone? You have reached the Sons of History podcast. I'm Dustin Bass. And I am Alan Joaquin. Yes, and that also is Alan Joaquin's phone. Uh, it's a beautiful thing, technology. I feel that there's a good chance that Alan and I may never, ever see each other face-to-face again. To which I guess I'm okay with. <laughs> Oh, and I assume wow, that you are the, as uh, well. What's that? I said, and I assume that you are as well. <laughs> it would be kind of, uh, you know, that could very well be possible with the way they can sit and superimpose in films when we do our little episode three. Oh, yeah, we could just do um, individual takes, and it seemed like we're always there. Get the green screen going. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean... What is to stop us? Uh, money. Okay, but aside from money, what is to stop us? <laughs> a good producer. A good editor. Yeah, I guess uh, we've got a lot of roadblocks in our way then. Oh, quite a bit. But someday. Someday. Yes, someday. Someday. I, you know, I think that, that should be our goal, that someday we will do an episode where we're not even in the same room. Or maybe on one end of the continent versus the other. Yeah. And, uh, we, that means we, we have a we would have a lot of money where we're just you know just let's go out of our way. Let's go, you go to uh, Boston and I'll go to Los Angeles. Sure, why not? Well, you know, or we could uh, we could break the, the time barrier, the fourth dimension, and do like Forrest Gump. You know, where Forrest is now, all of a sudden, you see him in the White House with uh, John F. Kennedy. That was pretty impressive. That was pretty impressive. For back in those days, hey, Forrest Gump did a did a great job on, like, no legs on Sinise, um, putting putting uh, Tom Hanks with, with uh, President Kennedy. Uh, yeah, it was pretty impressive. Yeah. Even well, pretty Linda impressive Johnson, with that whole... Lyndon Johnson. He was in there with Lyndon Johnson. He was in there with uh, Nixon. He did well. Yeah, and you know, I'll tell you this: that the, uh, the the ambush was one of the best war footage or war scenes I'd ever seen until the movie Saving Private Ryan a few years later. Yeah, it was really good with him uh, running and carrying the guys. Yep, it was really good stuff. Uh, yeah, massive explosions. Those, those are, hey, it's a classic. That is a classic movie. If you haven't watched that movie. That is a really good movie to watch. I, I would I would be shocked to that I would I'd be shocked if anybody our age hadn't seen it, um, or at least anybody watching or watching. Are you watching the show? Don't be watching the show. Get your eyes on the road. All right, uh, we've right. we've we've blabbered on long enough. Let's go ahead and get to our favorite part of the episode, and we will get into the books. Uh, I don't know who went first last time. I don't think it should matter. I'm going to get out of that. Go ahead, Alan. All right. Let's start with fiction. The Aeneid by Virgil. Oh, oh, I did want to say something before you get started. Yes, what is that? I'm going to time you. You have four minutes. That's two minutes for each book. So... Don't be taking nine minutes like you did last time. You have three, two, one, go. 
Are you going to time me like in the movie Ghost Protocol? Yes, exactly like Ghost Protocol. All right. Okay. All right, so I have two Don't minutes. Don't drown. Okay, two minutes. The Virgil by the Aeneid. Now, this is a continuation of the story of the Trojan War. You have Prince Aeneid, who is uh, King Priam's nephew. He escapes uh, Troy as it's being destroyed. And he leaves with his father and his son. His wife gets killed. And he and a group of Trojans escape. They end up in in uh, Carthage, where they meet uh, Queen Dido. Dido falls in love with him. She ends up... Well, I'll let you read the book. But it kind of uh, talks about how Carthage and, and Rome end up becoming enemies. But uh, he makes his way to Rome. And there's a battle with some of the people that are there. And, and what the story is about is, is that, that Aeneas, who is the hero, the protagonist, he is going to end up, his descendants are going to be Romulus and Remus. Mm-hmm. And as you know, Romulus and Remus founds Rome. All right. So thanks to Virgil their, was, Thanks to their wolf hmm? mother. Thanks to their wolf That's mother, right? right? Something like that. But they got sucked, they suckled on a, on a wolf. <laughs> it's beautiful. But yeah, so, so yeah, their descendants, Aeneas' descendants, descendants were Romulus and Remus, and then from there you have the Roman Empire. Pretty interesting book. It's not as good as the Iliad, but it's still good nonetheless. And you said, you said the Virgil by Aeneid, I think you meant Aeneid by Virgil, correct? Aeneid by, yeah, the Aeneid by Virgil. Yeah. All right, that's your two minutes. Go, man, nailed it. Good job. Uh, all right, next one is called The Politically Incorrect Guide to American History by Thomas Woods, Ph.D., Jr. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a very good book. There's a lot of information coming out nowadays that makes the United States look like uh, some pariah, you know, bad guys, everything we did was bad, all were about is slavery and the KKK and, uh, you know, just on and on and on. But this book actually talks about the good things that America did. Yes, did America have some problems? Of course. We are not perfect. In fact, I can't think of any country that is. But the United States has done a lot of great stuff, Mm -hmm. and throughout its history, it's done some incredible things. There have been laws made. There are there have been some uh, great men and women who contributed to the greatness of this country. Uh, we have freed many nations from the slavery of tyranny and uh, Nazism, fascism, communism. So if you want to read about the good that this country has done, as well as some of the bad, then I suggest The Politically Incorrect Guide to American History. Very nice. Man, that's uh, that's less than a minute and a half. Well done, sir. All right. What? Well, what? Well, I believe it's your turn, and I'm going to start the timer. Three, two, one, go. All right. My fiction piece is A Farewell to Arms. This is the first uh, Hemingway novel that I ever read. Um it's a classic tell um, regarding World War One, and it's uh, it's a very 
it's so it's so Hemingway. It ends the way that life typically ends, which is what Hemingway was known for for sort of uh, not being the the cheerleader um, of all things go well. So this one's a good one. If you've ever seen the movie Silver Linings Playbook, uh, there's a scene where uh, Bradley Cooper is reading uh, A Farewell to Arms. He finishes the book and then chunks it through his window. He hates the ending so much. Um, I don't think that you'll really chunk it through your window, but the ending is not gratifying, It's but it, it it's so fitting. And it really ends up, it, it's just a beautiful book. And as tragic as the ending is, it's still somehow in Hemingway-esque form, a beautiful ending. Anyways, that's my fiction ending, or my fiction ending, my fiction choice there, my uh, non-fiction uh, choice. I, I was going to say, I'm assuming that the story is about him, correct? It's... Because I, I know that he was an ambulance driver. He was an ambulance driver in World War I. There's bits and pieces yeah. that is, that's about him. Um, but technic- that one, um, I would say the ones that are really about him would be The Sun Also Rises, um, A Movable mm-hmm. Feast. Um, and I like to think, to an extent, um, The Old Man in the Sea. But Farewell to Arms, I think he, he takes all of his experiences that took place in World War One that he in, endured um, and sort of put them in there. But I don't think that was really like his his story. But um, there's a lot of them in there, if that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Um, my next book is a book by a man that I mentioned last week, Milton Friedman. Actually, it's a book by him and his wife, uh, Milton Friedman and Rose Friedman. It's called Free to Choose. Now, Free to Choose is an organization that he actually founded. And actually, PBS, back in the, in the good old days of the, I think, the 70s and 80s, he had his own show on PBS called Free to Choose. And so he talked a lot about uh, the economy and the free market enterprise and socialism and different things like that and the difference between... And then just uh, that really put him, you know, like I had mentioned last week, he was sort of the economist of the 20th century. Like he wasn't, you know, the only one, obviously, but he was possibly the most well-known and the most influential um, of the 20th century, if you if you pile all of them up together. Um, And so this one goes through a ton of information on how government interference and intervention actually stifles growth it, it it messes with the economy in a negative way and then also on the on the flip side uh, when there's not that government intervention uh, and regulation that is overbearing that there is growth there's a growth in jobs there's a growth in you know in wealth as far as people uh, making money and so there's more to actually go around than if you institute mass government regulations. So, uh, and he gives a ton of information and economic theoretical thought. So, readers, if you're unsure or if you're in college, it's a great book to read. I would highly encourage you uh, to read it. So, that is my nonfiction piece, and we can move on to the topic of this episode, which is. 
an ongoing part two conclusion of last week's episode on socialism. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if you have listened to last week's episode, I believe the title was, Okay, What is Socialism and What Countries Are Actually Socialist? And we discussed in detail the, I guess, the accusations from uh, the Democrats, uh, primarily um, the far-left Democrats who are self-proclaimed socialists, who continue to name Nordic countries as socialist countries. And we discussed how they actually are not. How did we do that, Alan? Well, we discussed the fact that they are free market economies. Now, do they have a very generous welfare system? Very much. They do have social programs, as we do, too. In fact, most of our social programs, um, if not all of them, I would say, began really under Franklin D. Roosevelt with his New Deal policies, and then it was accelerated when Lyndon Johnson came into power. Right. And then with the whole Obamacare that was under Obama. So, uh, you know, we, we, this country has started off as a free market economy. We had no forms of, of welfare whatsoever. Uh, we do now. Um, but if you look at some of the Nordic countries that were mentioned by many of these socialist candidates, they, they keep harping on the Nordic countries, Denmark, uh, Sweden, Norway. But the facts show that these are not socialist countries. Mm-hmm. They, are, they are market economies. They are free market economies. But they are just generous in, in how they take care of their citizens. Sweden, at one point, was a socialist nation, but they abandoned socialism after, I think it was the 70s, when they realized, you know what, we are getting heavily into debt. Uh, These programs are not working. Uh, They're not attaining the goals that that they were set to achieve. So they abandoned it, and now many of their social, what would be considered social programs, are really uh, privately owned and Mm market-driven. Um. Yeah, and so listeners, one, one if you thing haven't, were, I, was, I did huh? want to mention that. Adam See, that's what I don't like about you being on the phone is that you can't hear me when I cut in. So we, uh, yeah, very irritating. <laughs> go on, go on. I'll um, save my thought. Uh, one, last, well, one last thought I was going to say was that after World War II, Stalin was such an evil character in the eyes of much of Europe that many of them hesitated in becoming socialist and they didn't even want to use the term socialism. They were still market, they were still market economy, um, but, but they wanted to, they did not want to be seen as socialists because of Joseph Stalin. Okay, go. Oh, oh, thanks friend. Thanks. <laughs> I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, oh, so let, listeners, let, let me, oh let man, I'm going to punch you square in the face <laughs> next time I see you. So help me God. Go, I, no, go I, ahead, go ahead. I don't, no, I'm done. Are you sure? Oh, quite sure. <sighs> Anyways, okay. Here we go. 
what I was going to say is, listeners, if you um, are sort of unaware of the things that we were talking about um, right now, I would suggest go back and listening to uh, last week's episode. Um, yeah, and going off of what you're saying, I, it just really bothers me because if you look at socialism in America right now, as far as the idea, um, it is being propagated by the, the, the poster child, obviously, is Bernie Sanders, um, the senator from Vermont, the independent senator from Vermont, which I, I still don't understand why he's independent because he only votes according to uh, democratic policies. Anyways, um, I just don't like the fact that, one, he's been in politics for God knows how long. And he is very which I guess is the ilk of politicians, but he's very careless with his words um, as if research is, is not necessary to be done um, and calling these Nordic countries and a lot of other countries that are successful as socialist countries and when they're not. And so when you go before young people, you, when you go before college students and you speak to them and say, well, it's, Oh, man. I, you mind if I do my Bernie Sanders impersonation? Oh, go ahead. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it's not going to be very good. But he goes up to him. He's like, all these... No, <laughs> Never mind. I'm going to blow people's eyes. No, no. You need, to, you need to talk like the art bark in the Anthony the art bark. <laughs> I don't know him. So I'm going to... Uh, are you talking about Arthur? No, no, no. Do you remember uh, the Pink Panther cartoons? You had uh, one of them was the Anthony Ardbar? No. No, the only no, thing no, I no. really remember about Pink Panther was the Peter Sellers movies and the ice cream Pink Panther that I would get from the ice cream truck as a kid. But anyways, moving on. Um, well, there, was, there was a... Uh, there was a I'm going to check and see. Give me one second. I think his name is Jackie Mason. Is that the actor? Are, are you yeah. really asking me? I don't even yeah, remember Jack, Aardvark. Jackie Mason, I think is his name. Yeah, Jackie Mason. Okay. He's a comedian. Congratulations. How is it that you always remember these obscure names, but you can't remember Jimmy Stewart? Oh, it still boggles my Stewart. mind. It was just something that kind of slipped my mind. <laughs> <laughs> something's wrong here. Some, something, something's wrong here. <laughs> what I was saying is that if you look at 2016, and what I was going with was, you look at 2016 and the, the Democratic polls um, between Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton, Bernie Sanders by and far um, won the vote from the millennial age um, between you know 18 to like 31. Uh, he really like blew away uh, Hillary Clinton. And... The thing is, is that it's based on misinformation of saying, well, it's working over here, blah, 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 when actually, no, they're, they're not a socialist country. Um, if he would just stick to the countries that are actually socialists and just say, all right, guys, this is what we want to do. We need to look to Venezuela. We need to look to Cuba. We need to look to um, North Korea, as these are our, you know, our guiding lights. We need to look at old school, you know, Russia. 
We need to look at old school China. You know, those are the places that we really need to look towards. And, you know, those are our role models. I think you'd probably get a much different um, response if there was some honesty involved, but there's not. Um, and so when you start saying, you know, everything is a human right, like we we're talking about, uh, listeners, if you haven't watched episode two on the Declaration of Independence um, on our website, thesonsofhistory.com, that's one of the jokes that we do make. Um, <laughs> Alan playing John Adams says, well, what about free health care? Free education, <laughs> you know, a right to a minimum wage. It's a, you know, uh, whatever. And these are all things that Bernie Sanders and his his uh, followers continue to say and continue to call. And it's based on, well, if you're this wealthy of a nation, then certain things become rights of individuals, which is extremely dangerous uh, to do. And that's what he keeps doing. And it's a very... It's a very Marxist mentality, and I don't want to go off into the deep end, but pretty much everything that he says, and I've written an like an I wrote an extensive article um, on socialism in America, uh, more or less communism in America, and you know a lot of the things that Sanders, Bernie Sanders says, lines up exactly with what Karl Marx wrote um, in his pamphlets and in the Communist Manifesto. Um, and another parallel is that neither Sanders nor Marx uh, ever held a job in their life. Uh, that's interesting. So, wow. Yeah. Did you see those new videos that came out of Bernie Sanders? Uh, no, I didn't. Oh, you should check them out. There's these videos where he would do these interviews and he was praising Nicaragua when it was a socialist communist country uh, back in the 80s. And he was also praising the uh, Soviet Union. And this was back in the 80s when we had a Soviet Union as our arch enemy. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Yeah, I'll be sure to well, just forward those over. And maybe uh, if you can, just uh, send me the links and I'll put them into uh, this episode as I try to do on most of our episodes. Just give, you, uh, okay. give the listeners uh, links to further uh, research. His um, oh, hair, hair looks the same except it's uh, not so white. Not so white. It's a little different. Um, here is here is the here's the situation. One of the things that that I thought about was: Have you ever gone hunting, Alan? You ever gone deer hunting? Never have. Never have. Okay, I haven't gone in a long time. But one of the things that you do in order to get the deer to come to you, uh, or at least in your area, is you set out deer feeders. You set them out so they can become accustomed to being in that area because they know that food is going to be there. You know, So you set these deer feeders out well before you get out and start going into certain places and hunting. Um, so they will already be in that area when you get there, or at least there's a better chance of them being there. Socialism is like the deer feeder. It it's, it's the promise of free food without cost. And one of the things that Milton Friedman mentioned always was there's no such thing as a free lunch. And a lot of people who are coming up out of high school and out of, out of college, they have this mentality that there should be a free lunch or there is eventually going to be a free lunch, which is why there's such the, the outcry for, you know, uh, 
forgiving the debt on uh, education, which is something obviously that we need to talk about is the whole education system because I, I truly believe that the education system is, is completely out of control and it's amazing that we've in, we've already gone over the trillion dollar mark in, in student loan debt. Anyways, that's beside the point. We have got to stop agreeing that everything is free just because somebody in political power is saying that things should be free. Because um, the, the thing is, is that students and recent graduates need to be asking the right questions. And they're not. They're just taking whatever is given to them as in its propaganda, which is saying, yes, free health care, free education, and all this stuff will be free. But there's never the real question and, and of who is going to pay for it. Where is the money going to come from? How are you going to get it from them? And what is the long-term solution? Um, how will it affect the budget and the American people if you start saying all of this stuff will be free? Sort of like we've, we've mentioned before, when Alexandria uh, Ocasio-Cortez, the representative from New York, uh, got on CNN, I believe, and was you know coming up with all of these grandiose ideas of how to ensure that people got everything that they wanted. And they're like, well, how are you going to pay for it? Because this is the cost um, of what it would be. And there was no answer. There was no, that's, that type of forethought is not put into play. It's just, here's what needs to happen because we want this particular outcome. And it's extremely dangerous to do that. Your thoughts, Alan? Well, I was, when, when you're sitting and talking about the, uh, that book or movie, have you, uh, where nothing is free, have you seen or read um, The Time Machine? No. By H.G. Wells, which might be my next book recommendation. Okay. There are, um, this guy named George built a time machine and he goes about 800,000 years into the future. And there are two societies of people. There's the Eloys and the Morlocks. Now, the Eloys... They live a, a happy-go-lucky life. They don't work. They they don't do anything. They just jump around and dance and eat fruit. And, uh, and the fruit is provided to them by another society that you don't see until dark. <laughs> hmm. There's a reason for that. Because the other society, they're known as the Morlocks. The Morlocks provide the Eloys the food. But at the nighttime, the Morlocks come out and they'll snatch an, an Eloy or two and they will eat them. <laughs> so it's, it's important for the Morlocks, which let's just call it the socialist government, mm -hmm. need a happy-go-lucky society that doesn't work. In this case, would be the, uh, the Eloys. Mm -hmm. Because, well, I mean, they, I'm sure the socialist government does need people to work, but but I, I just thought of that, that, uh, you know, the Eloys were, were getting free food, but apparently there was, there was no free lunch unless, of course, you're a Morlock. Then you get to eat as many of the Eloys as you wanted to. Hmm. I'll have to read the book. I do have H.G. Wells' uh, History of the World, his volume set, but I haven't read it. 
That's okay. pretty much the only one of, of his that I have. Yeah, um, I've, read, I've read a couple of H.G. Wells' uh, The War of the Worlds and The uh, the Time Machine. Yeah, I've always been fascinated by The by Time Machine. I wanted to actually read the book. But it, it's pretty interesting because he kind of predicted a World War II when he wrote the book. Yeah. Hmm, interesting. Very interesting. So, yeah, it's... Um, there is there is no free lunch, you know, in, in society in, in in our in our own in our own government. I'll, I I was talking with someone um, at my uh, doctor's office, and she was and she had went and visited uh, California, and she was talking about oh yeah, it's really cool out there. You can they, they're pushing for free college, they're pushing for free this, free that, and and I just I looked at her and I said, you know, somebody has to pay for that. Okay, free college, that's great, but who's paying, where, where's the money that goes to the professor or for the system? Who's paying for that? Yeah. She didn't think about that. Yeah. Somebody has, somebody has you can't get, you know, when people say that, you know, uh, healthcare is a right or education is a right, well. No, it's not. It's not a right because. The only it, it, right is the opportunity to go get it. Right. Now, freedom of speech is a right because it doesn't cost anybody else for you to speak out. Correct. It's not a commodity. The Second, the, the second Amendment, the freedom to own a firearm, the, the right to bear arms, I can buy whatever gun I want. Right. But it doesn't mean I can go into a gun store and say... <clears throat> I have a right to a gun. Give me a gun. Exactly. They they can sell it to you, but guess what? You still have to pay for it. Right. So until that gets into their heads, I think we're going to have a lot of problems in the coming elections by politicians that are just going to offer them free this and free that. Exactly. And and going on the hope uh, that somehow has been proven to work uh, that people, a lot of people, won't look into. You know, is this even possible? Is this is this a pipe dream? And Bernie Sanders is always saying, like, this is not a utopian dream. Like, yeah, what you're what you're actually propagating is the actual definition of a utopian dream, where everything's free, um, and somehow the 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 money comes from from nowhere. Um, and it's like it, it just it doesn't happen. Um, and one of the things that is, is highly irritating and is very characteristic of socialism and communism is that there is an, the attack on the wealthy, which is what is continually um, said by politicians from the left. Um, and this is not an, like an anti-democrat episode. This is an anti, well, yeah, let's just say it. Uh, this is pointing out the things that socialism um, declares to be part of their, their platform. And it is, hey, we go after the wealthy. That's one of the things that Hillary Clinton said when she was running for, uh, the, president's, uh, for, the, for the presidency was, We'll be going after the money, which is so bizarre. She said, we'll be going where the money is. As if 
it belongs to them. And that's what is very strange to me is that politicians who are self-proclaimed socialists have this mentality that money that is accumulated by the rich should not belong to them, that it belongs to the quote-unquote people, or as Google likes to uh, define it, as the community. I'm like, no, it's not the community. We know what you're doing. Uh, it's called the government. The government trying to take that money from wealthy people and just, you know, try to increase the taxes. Like, look, the rich and the poor and the middle income, they're, they're all the same type. They want what is best for them personally. And so when you itemize them and you point them out, uh, which is against the Constitution to um, go after one particular demographic uh, instead of everyone else, um, which the Federalist Papers mention uh, in a number of occasions. Uh, and one of the recent things that have been that has been brought up is Elizabeth Warren's new tax plan, um, which is the ultra billionaire tax. That's actually the name of it. It's pretty bizarre. Um, it is to pinpoint the one percenters, or as her tax says, 0.1% and go after them. Now, this is a tax on a number of different things for the ultra wealthy. Um, and it's all under the guise of the, the phrase, they have to pay their fair share, which is pretty alarming to me because that's a, a non-definitive phrase that they can never define. It's just they have to pay their fair share. Well, what is that? Well, they're rich. They got to pay it. So she's actually um, one of the things that goes into her plan is a forty percent exit tax on those people. Now, this is people who who their their um, household income is fifty million dollars or more annually. A forty percent exit tax. Now, I'm not going to say that that's exactly what the Nazis did. Um, during their time in Germany, where they taxed people who wanted to leave the country because of how things were going, they taxed them, they gave them a, a high percentage exit tax. I'm not going to say that, um, but that is something that is very alarming. And one of the things is, you may be, listeners may be thinking, wait a minute, we do have an exit tax. We do have an exit cost for you to leave the country and relinquish your U.S. citizenship. Yes, we do. And you got to pay. You have to pay uh, $2,350 to do that. So it's a far cry from what is being um, demanded here. And it's very scary that a government or a government official who is in power and looks to be one of the front runners for the Democratic Party is saying, ain't nobody leaving this country. If you've got money, you're not going anywhere unless you want to fork over almost half of your income or half of your wealth. So that, to me, is, one, it's it's not American um, to try to force people to, um, to do something that they don't want to do. Nobody wants to pay their taxes. But to just bully them is because you're in, you're in power. That's a scary thing to me. You know, that's, uh, 
that if someone wants to leave, that they're going to have to fork over almost half of their wealth. Yeah. And I and I will put that link into uh, this episode as well, and it's actually on her on her um, personal like senator website. So it's a crazy I, I'm thing. Kind of a, I'm I'm at a loss that someone would even propose something like that. There have been a lot of proposals here in the past year or two, and and it's really gained ground under the Bernie Sanders push. Um. And it's just this anti-free market, anti-capitalism movement that is, look, there are a lot of things that are wrong with capitalism. There are a lot of things that are wrong with Wall Street. Of course, you know, it's just just the way it is. There's a lot of things wrong with a lot of things. It's everything. Even even the things that you think are, are the most pure, um, there are things that are wrong with it. There's no perfect system of any kind. In any industry, in any ideology or whatever. But we have got to look into what people are saying and is it the truth? That is the question. Is it the truth? And what is the fallout? What is the fallout if if you massively tax the wealthy? And I will point this out. A lot of people think that the wealthy in America all comes from old money. No. We have 75% of billionaires in the U.S. comes from new money. This comes from people who had an idea or worked really hard for something in particular and went after it, and there you have it. The sky is the limit, right? In America, the sky is the limit. You're not going to be punished for being rich, although we do have a lot in power in Congress who want to punish the rich. And you know, even, even President Obama, although, you know, some people like, you know, will point that he was, you know, either far left or he was moving towards there. Um, but even he knew not to, you know, tax, you know, the super wealthy or, or corporations, you know, to where it's like an ultra detriment. You know, you don't want to overtax, you know, Super wealthy. Even he understood that. And though a lot of people are like, well, he wanted to go after it and blah, blah, blah. No. He was, he was very, he's very different than the Hillary Clintons of today and the Bernie Sanders, definitely. And now he may feel a different way, uh, much like when Teddy Roosevelt got out of office. Um, he started going on a, on a progressive tear, which was a good thing that, you know, he didn't get reelected when he started his own party, but I guess I would have probably preferred him over Woodrow Wilson, but still. Yeah. Moving on. I have rambled on enough. And that's what... Do what? What'd you say? Oh, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, um, I, I'm actually, I, I do know that a lot of these uh, so-called economists, these, these politicians, have to understand that when you discourage uh, wealth creation, you're going to discourage entrepreneurship. You're going to discourage people from wanting to come here. Now, I remember uh, Steve Wynn, I believe that's his name, where under when, when Obama was president, Steve Wynn was saying that the best atmosphere or the best environment, really, for, for starting a business was in, in uh, the People's Republic of China. Because 
they had abandoned their socialist Maoist policies. Yeah. Now they still use, they still have an authoritarian one-party system in government, mm-hmm. but they recognized that in the economic sense that the market economy was the way to go. Right. And so people like Steve Wynn and many other billionaires were thinking, wow, the opportunities in China, if markets are going to be opened up, mm-hmm. and you've got, what, one point, I don't even know how many people there are, 1.6 billion over there? I know yeah. India is about 1.3 billion. But uh, China does have a lot of people. <laughs> yes, they do. Yes, they uh, do. They were, they were a billion back in the 80s, so I don't know what they are now, because frankly, with their, they had that one, one kid policy for a long time, so... Suffice it to say, they do have the largest population in the world. So, so the opportunities of of, uh, of wealth creation for some of the entrepreneurs here in this country were just too much for, for many of them to uh, resist. Yeah. Now here comes Trump, and he has um, basically he cut the uh, the uh, tax on business, and uh, you know we we do have companies now that are are starting to. Instead of going to China, they're coming back over here. And we are attracting a lot of uh, foreign investment. We're attracting a lot of uh, uh, foreign students to come into this country mm-hmm. and uh, set up shop here. Yeah. And, and the way to do that is not to have a state-run socialist system, but let, you know, let the economy, let the market decide things, and you'll see how things can grow. Right. And when we say let the market decide, it's let the citizens let the people decide what they want to do it's it's not let wall street decide it's let supply and demand if there's a need out there um or if there's a desire out there just a want um and that's the beauty of of america is that you can make money off of more than just the necessities you can make it off of what people want um whether it's expensive handbags or really nice shoes um, or expensive meals at restaurants. So you can you can you can make money off of people's desires. And in a lot of countries, in like socialist countries, that's not going to happen. Um, and that's because you start running into nationalized industries, uh, which is the government telling you how things are going to be run, not just from overall economics, but uh, from Okay, your your particular industry. This is how things are going to be run because we're running it. So they tell you they tell you how how things are going to go with the continual the, belief of hey everything's going to be free. Don't worry about it. Well, look at the the, the blackberries. Now the blackberries were the thing uh, in the early part of this century. But the market, the economy decided, hey, you know, we want some better than the blackberry uh, even after the blueberry came out you know we started having uh, uh, was it the iPhone came out we had the uh, uh, Android come out galaxy the droid mm-hmm. all those diff- all those different systems the market decided that we would rather have that than the blackberry right now before the blackberry we had what the uh, the palm is that what it's called, the Palm Pilot? And we had the yeah, Motorola the Palm Pilot, Pump. yeah. Oh, yeah, the Palm Pilot. Hello. Yeah, Palm Pilot. You know, all you needed, what, what, you, what people carried around was uh, was 
Motorola flip phone and the Palm Pilot. Mm-hmm. Everybody, that's what everybody had. Right. And then here comes the iPhone, and then here comes uh, Samsung comes out with some pretty uh, nifty little toys there. So you know, the, the market decided all that. Right. We didn't have we did not have a government sit there and say, you know, we're we're going to we we need to put money into these businesses. We mm-hmm. need to uh, rescue them. What, what was that term? When the market crashed in 2008, where we dumped billions and billions of dollars. Yeah, the bailout programs. Bailouts, yeah. yeah. So we didn't have bailouts of these of these companies. We let the market decide. Right. Okay, if you work for BlackBerry or Blueberry, okay, you lost you lost your job. And guess what? You went to go work for Apple, or you went to go work for Samsung. Right. And the thing is, if it's a socialist economy. And the government is running that industry. We're all stuck with Blackberries. We're all stuck with these phones that we're complaining about. We're like, are you freaking kidding me? This thing doesn't work again. Or the, the buttons are broken. Or great. You know, uh, what am I going to do with this thing? No. We, you know, it's just like you eliminate, you eliminate choice when, when you do that. So you have to have it to where the economy the free market, the, the marketplace, the business owners, they are the ones competing against each other and they are the ones demanding of each other more excellence, better technology, you know, better service. Those are the things that we demand of each other and consumers demand from us. But if you are a consumer in a socialist economy and you want better service, well, Whoever is whoever has been nationalized, the the business that's been nationalized, they don't care what you think. They don't care what your demands are. They only care what the government's going to tell them to do. Like if the government's displeased, okay, then I'll go ahead and change it. But all these consumers, I could care less. Don't care about it. I'm not going to do anything. We're going to keep doing what we're doing because we're getting paid. And it and it monopolizes industries. Um, so. Did you want to mention some of the countries? Um, I know you had mentioned some of the countries that are socialist, that are some of the countries that are free market. Um, did you, ha- didn't well, you have I, a list? I, I know that I, uh, I believe last time I did discuss uh, Israel and Lebanon, Australia. Right. Um, I, I know, you know, people, people, I, I've been to many of these countries. Uh, I know that Israel, they, they, they have a free market system. Mm-hmm. Again, they, they are very, uh, very, very generous about the welfare system. Yeah. Very, very generous. But, you know, they are, when, when you think of a country that has just a powerful economy in the Middle East, it's not simply oil-related like, like Kuwait or Saudi Arabia or UAE. You know, Israel is, is one of the countries. Israel is the poster child of country that didn't even exist a hundred years ago and is now has one of the greatest economies yeah. in, in the world in the world you have uh, now you know Lebanon they they're more of a laissez-faire com- they're more of a laissez-faire country but they do have a lot of money a lot of capital in the, from the banking systems from around that entire region a lot of it is because of religion. The uh, Muslims are not allowed to deal in uh, interest, and they don't want to deal in Israel. So 
they send it to Lebanon because they have a large Christian population, and the Christians have no qualms about dealing with interest. <laughs> so, you know, so you have you have the banking the banking center is going to be in Lebanon. Yeah. Now, look at uh, look at Hong Kong, Macau, and uh, Taiwan, which are all um, they're all part of the uh, of the Chinese system. They're all part of China. Right. But uh, with more Hong freedom. Kong. Hong Kong was controlled by the British, Macau by the Portuguese, and then you had Taiwan, which was controlled by Japan Mm -hmm. up until World War II. Well, all their economies are doing very well. Now, China eventually did get back Hong Kong and Macau. Um, But, you know, you go over there, and their system, their, their economic system had always been different from the People's Republic of China, when People's Republic of China annexed those two territories, mm-hmm. Hong, Hong Kong and Macau, they were not allowed to deal in in foreign ventures in terms of like military or anything like that. But in terms of their economic system, they were allowed to keep it. So those two re- those two areas are still doing very well. Taiwan is still doing very well. Mm-hmm. But China, what's interesting is, is that China and Russia, the former Soviet Union. Both have come to understand that uh, that the best thing for their economy has been to abandon the state-run economy and let the market market uh, have a free market system. Right. You know, Putin. In all, you know, I know people say how evil he is, but Putin has been very good for the China, for the Russian economy because he recognizes that a free market system is actually what's going to make their economy grow. Yeah, and you know what's funny is that the Russians and the Chinese, I'm quite certain, would love nothing more than for America to adopt a socialist economy. Oh, yeah, because then they can... They, they can do... China, they China can and run Russian, it. Both would love nothing more than to be the, uh, the economic leaders of the world. Yeah. One of the things, like, China, speaking of China, uh, listeners, they technically became a market economy in the late 90s. Now, they sort of left the the Mao, Maoist, you know, communism sort of, you know, you know, moving away from that post, I think 1976 when Mao died, um, and they started sort of moving away from that, but became like an official market economy in, in the late 90s. Um, and what, here are some of the things that took place in that, has taken place in that country. Well, when capitalism was introduced, it pulled approximately 200 million people out of poverty over the course of, of about 20 years like because they, they switched economic theories. Check this out. Our, econ- our GDP from 2000 to now has grown by about 100%. That's, that's extreme, right? That's phenomenal. In that same period of time, from 2000, from just a few years uh, after China became like an official market economy, their GDP has increased by more than 1,000%. It's, in, it, it's incredible that, you know, what their economy has been able to do under a free market enterprise system. Um, and it's just, that's, that's what happens. And you know what, you know, another country that has been, um, 
not not communist, but it's under a like under the caste system, which would be India. They're delving into a free market system, and you see how their their economy is is improving very rapidly as well. Now, listeners, I I do want to mention this too. You know, we mentioned the correlation between us and the Nordic countries. And one of the things that I did want to mention was there are a lot of people who say, well, why can't we be more like Sweden? Why can't we be more like Finland or Norway or Denmark? You know, why can't we be more like Canada? One, these are not socialist countries. Um, Two, the differences between our country and those countries are so extreme in population, it's, it's hard to fathom. Sweden, 10 million people. $470 $470 billion annual GDP. Finland, 5 million people, $225 billion. Norway, 5 million people, $350 billion uh, GDP. Denmark, 5 million, $325 billion GDP. Canada is 30 million with $1.6 trillion. Our country is 325 million people. Our, our GDP right now is $19 trillion. The thing is, is like in order to sustain enough money for $325 million is yes, you need to make sure that you're doing um, what you're doing with the free market enterprise system. But you cannot be Sweden. You can't be Finland, Norway, Denmark, Canada. You can't be it because the population sizes are so vastly different. And so... Don't make it to where it's apples and oranges. I completely agree that there are certain things that these countries do, like Finland's education system or even Sweden's education system. Like Finland's, I think, is still number one. Whatever it is that they're doing, you need to sort of try to see what what you can do to manipulate that. Um, Not manipulate that, but replicate it. See what you can do. To say, hey, it's working over here. Let's let's try doing something because the things that we're doing ain't working. Why? Because one, we've nationalized uh, the education system to an extent. I mean, the public public education system. Of course, we still got charter schools and private schools and not for profit. But the vast majority of students who are graduating now, they're going to public schools. So, and the education system is subpar. And Whenever you hear somebody say, hey, we're not spending enough money on the social welfare. Uh, we're not, you know, we're, there's too much money going towards, you know, the wealthy that they, they get all they get all the money. So the government gets four trillion dollars annually of the GDP. That's a lot of money for the government to be taking in. Now, this these numbers are according to the Center for Budget and Policy Priorities. Of that $4 trillion, dude, 60% goes to welfare programs. And 50% of of that 60% is Social Security and medical programs. So we're spending $2 trillion a year on Social Security and medical programs. And then, um, you know, another 10% of that is going to different types of, of welfare programs. So there's a ton of money that's going to the welfare of the public. So it's there shouldn't really be a complaint of we, we're not 
we're not putting forth enough money um, for for the American people. I mean, you got 325 million people, and you're using over two trillion dollars for welfare programs. There's a good chance that that's enough money to cover that many people. If you do the math, it's it's more. It's way more than enough. I, I can't remember the math off the top of my head, but it's it's incredibly substantial. Yeah, considering we also have a uh, our unemployment rate is what three three point six or three point seven percent. Exactly. So that's what three to four percent of the American people who are, you know, they're receiving what two and a half, two and. Two and two and a quarter trillion dollars. Uh, like, I just just the math just really doesn't really doesn't fit to me. And I think a lot of the money obviously goes to the bureaucracy of people who are who are running these things. Um, so, but and don't forget, don't forget, there's also state and local governments that you have to there's their taxes that you have to consider. That's true. That is true. And if you look at how many people work for the Social Security Administration. A ton of money goes to that. I think there's like sixty thousand employees. Hey, come on. What do you? What do you? How many? Just get a computer system together, man. You know. It, what are you having? Everybody issue checks personally. I don't know, man. people. Well, the government is a huge behemoth. It is. It, it is the Leviathan. All our money. It's the Leviathan. One of the things I did want to mention, because people always talk about, well, the corruption, the corruption of the free market, the corruption of Wall Street. I agree. There's corruption in Wall Street. There's corruption in corporations. There's corruption, probably corruption in my own house, and it's just me living here. There's corruption just about everywhere. But I would rather have corruption you can do something about, i.e. the free market enterprise, by being able to go to the government and say, hey, this needs to be fixed. I'd rather have corruption you can do something about than corruption instituted and protected by the government. Yeah, and, the uh, government is doing the corrupting. Yeah. And I will give you, you, know, a, I'll give you a story. Um, a, f- a very close friend of mine, and people have probably seen him on TV. He's, uh, he's uh, was one of the American Ninja Warriors uh, competitors in Vegas a few times. Um, has his own business, um, Houston, the, the city of Houston. So he's trying to build a gym. And the city of Houston has created this monopoly with this one business because of what happened with Hurricane Harvey. They've required that everybody, you know, who's getting these, um, who's building these buildings, and I guess in certain areas, they're required by law to get this concrete filter called a stormtrooper. The city of Houston gave this contract to one business. It's a government contract to one business, which, you know, is security against competition. So they're able to charge business owners $80,000 for one of these filters, $80,000. And there's nothing you can do about it because you have to have it because it's required now by law. So that in itself is, is a monopoly created by the government. That's just a, an example of how when the government intervenes and they make something mandatory, 
and they sign they get into a contract deal with a company to institute something for the betterment of society for the protection of the people well you create a monopoly and you have people who are like i can't freaking afford this you know and those who those who can afford it like dude that's eighty thousand dollars that you just had to put forth my friend's not rich you know, he's, it's not like he's a millionaire. He's not one of the ones that, you know, Elizabeth Warren's going after. No, he's just a regular regular guy. Him and his wife and his little girl. So, the thing is, is if you would have had it to where it's open for the market to compete on this one particular thing, $80,000 would not have been anywhere near that price. People would have been working to get the price down to where they can compete with each other and get more People purchasing their product. But these people, they don't have anything to worry about because it's protected. One, they can charge whatever they want to because anybody who wants to start a business, they have to get this thing. Otherwise, they can't do the business. So that, ladies and gentlemen, that's just wrong. And it's run by the government and you can't... You can't do anything about it. Yeah, can't do anything about it. I've got a personal story, and we'll jump to the end unless you got something else uh, that you want to talk about. But I recently started my own business, a marketing company called Bass Trap Media, if you guys want to check that out. Um, so we signed up with Comerica Bank. You know, they've been an absolute disaster from start to almost finish because we're switching over to Chase. But the thing is, is if there was only one bank that I could go to that was protected by the government, that was, it's, you know, let's say it's, it's a socialist economy, so everybody's under one roof and we've all got to, you know, so you can only, you can only go to this one bank. If I was stuck with that, I would have to be stuck with how poor of a job Comerica Bank has been doing for my business. Website down. Um, the physical office. Terrible people. You know. Not terrible people. Good people. But the just. The incompetence is. Is there. And just. Just the thing. Like. If I couldn't. Make a choice and say. I'm going to go to Chase Bank. Or I'm going to go to Bank of America. Or Wells Fargo. Or Wood Forest. Or. You know. Frost Bank, whatever. you got a ton of different options there, right? If I didn't have that, I would be stuck. And my friend, who I just mentioned, he's stuck with that one particular product from that one particular business with that one particular price. And that's the difference between socialism, a nationalized economy, and the free market enterprise. And I understand precisely how the free market enterprise works for my company. If I don't do a good job, if my business does not do a good job for clients, they get to go somewhere else. No questions asked. They just say, hey, you suck. I'm going somewhere else. I'm taking my money with them. I want their money, but they also have needs that I can fulfill, my business can fulfill. So I know that if I do a good job and if I have a good relationship with them and I'm upfront and honest with them and I give them good pricing, they'll stay and they'll be the benefit and possibly the benefit of them telling another friend who has a business, hey, come with Bass Trap Media. 
So you have to understand the, the and I, I, I hope that, you know, some, some young people are really listening to this episode. Understand the difference and the possibilities of the free market enterprise compared to this to a socialist economy. A socialist economy replaces the possibility of opportunity with just the mere idea of equality. And so you lose you lose so much with that. Well my little story it's not so much socialism as it is where you have no, where you don't have competition and that was when I remember in the 70s when our only phone system was AT&T here were your choices you could have a beige phone a black phone or maybe this puke green looking phone yeah <laughs> it was almost always rotary dial and you can either have it attached to your wall, or you can have one with a cable that went into the wall. It, you didn't have the RJ, uh, was it RJ11 jack, like we have today. Mm-hmm. This was a cable that went into the wall. Those were your choices back in the 70s, before the government finally busted up AT&T. Yeah. And then... Then we started having all these different, like we had Sprint and MCI for long distance, and then we had all these different little phones that we now carry around. Yeah. But yes, back in the 70s, all you had were those little choices. Either it was a wall-mounted or it was a handheld phone that you carried around, like you saw on the TV or movies, with those, with those three colors. Hmm. Competition has created what we have today, where you can walk around... You can have a smartphone. You can have a flip phone. You don't even have to have a phone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, that, that's where that's where the market came in. Competition gave you what you have today. Yep. There's my uh, story. Yeah. It's just another example. You have to have competition. Otherwise, you're going to hate watching the game. You know, it just it comes down to just uh, young people. If you don't really understand free market or if you don't understand the free market watch sports and that's yeah, the, NFL the, NFL is it's an oligarchy yeah it's the free market on display as far as how many teams there are and they're all competing against each other they're all competing for, for one particular thing and the owners compete against each other they want certain players they want the best players and so they get to you know they, they get to offer contracts of, of various kinds for certain players, you know? And so you want to, in, in human form, the marketplace, the, the, the free market enterprise is being put on the court or the field um, every day. So check it out. Well, my, compl- my complaint about the NFL in terms of it being an oligarchy is, is that, you know, you only have one football team in Houston to root for. Now imagine if we had a couple of Houston teams would it cost over a hundred bucks just to go have a seat in the stadium? Mm-hmm. No, probably not. <clears throat> probably yeah, not. Yeah, I kind of do have a problem with the oligarchy of the NFL. Right, <laughs> I, I, I do too. But the thing is, like, there's no law against another um, football league starting. It's yeah, just, but they don't do so well. I, think I was going to say, it's just tried, yeah, you're yeah, going to go was, up against it. USFL. Yeah, you're going to go up against a, the monster that is the NFL, the beast. 
Um, but the thing is, is if if the NFL the NFL has to falter dramatically in order to open up the door for competition to really come in and do something. And I don't think it will allow itself to do that. When I say allow itself, you've got 30 plus owners who aren't going to allow certain things to take place. If, if the, if the product, which I think we all agree over the past decade has been, uh, not as what we remembered it as kids, um, as, as, as intense and as enjoyable as it was, um, I think they will see it and the, the numbers will point them in the right direction. And so the free market enterprise is all about watching the numbers too, making sure that you're moving in the, you're moving your business in the right direction. So, and if they don't, they suffer the consequences. It's either a loss of revenue or somebody else sneaks in and takes over. So, as always, we want to end on a scripture. Um, are you ready for that, Alan? I am ready. All right. This one is Galatians 5, 13, and 14. And we're talking about the freedom of free market enterprise and the restrictions of the socialist economy. Um, and so we wanted to bring this one in for freedom. It says, for you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. Hello, marketplace. For the whole, that's not in the scripture, by the way. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. There you go. Use your freedom to serve one another in love. You know. And that's the key word is freedom. Correct. I have come to find out, man, if you want to have a successful business, and this is not just because I've recently become a business owner. This is be from being a consumer. I have realized that if you want some, if you want to increase your consumer base, you don't have to like say I love you, but you have to show your consumers that you care. You have to show them that that you care, and that goes a long way. So use your freedom to serve one another in love. So if you're a business owner, follow that rule. If you're not, follow that rule anyways. Love your neighbor as yourself, and we love you, listeners. Thank you so much for listening in. And where can they find us, Mr. Allen? Well, they can find us on Facebook, on Pinterest. No, not Pinterest, I'm sorry. Yeah. Stupid. Wow. You should be Let ashamed of yourself. Are you, on your, are you on your personal Pinterest page right now? Looking mm-hmm. at- no, I'm not. No, I'm not. But Pinterest popped in my head for some reason. <laughs> yeah, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and our own website, www thesonsofhistory.com That's right. And we've put up a a number of videos. We've been on a bit of a roll here lately um, on our, well, on our website, YouTube, and Facebook page primarily. There's been a a number of uh, videos that that have gone up. So go check it out, listeners. Um, And if you ever have any topics that you'd like us to cover, feel free to reach out to us on Facebook. We've gotten a number of people reached out to us. 
Um, and yes, we will tackle those conversations. So uh, that is going to wrap up our incredible show. Um, it's been a beast. It's been a Leviathan. <laughs> it's been like the federal government. It's been like the federal government. So, uh, yeah. Well, listeners, if you don't catch the Leviathan, it will catch you. All right. That is it, ladies and gentlemen. We will talk to you all later. Good night and good luck.